Welcome back. On behalf of the Thoracic Oncology Assembly, I'm Chris Latour, and I'll be joined by Dr. Renda Wiener and Patricia Rivera in our discussion today. We're very excited to continue our serial podcast on lung cancer screening implementation. As you recall, we were talking about who should and shouldn't get screened. In this edition, we're going to jump right back in where we left off. There are a lot of risk prediction models that are sort of out there, and I, you know, every time I read a paper, it seems like somebody has done a study that looks at some, you know, a novel risk factor, you know, for developing lung cancer. And so I'm just wondering if you systematically use any of those models of lung cancer risk to help decide who should and shouldn't get screened. I do. I actually um, uh, use the uh, Brock University model, and I also use the Should I Screen um, uh, website um, to help patients. I use the Brock prediction model to help uh, patients visualize what their um, you know, calculated six-year risk of, of developing lung cancer um, and I actually use that in patients both who meet criteria and those who um, don't meet criteria, but in whom other risk factors, particularly family history of lung cancer and known emphysema, I think are important risks. Um, and I will be honest with you that I have uh, on several occasions um, recommended screening for patients who did not meet the strict criteria by they quit smoking 15 years greater, uh, 15 years prior, excuse me, um, because calculated risk using the Brock prediction model was greater than 5%. Um, it's a lot of discussion, uh, particularly in Medicare patients, a lot of shared decision um, that needs to take place. Um, but I find that model useful, um, and I think it's it's usual it's helpful to patients to visualize all those factors in that number. What I think, like about the should okay. I screen um, uh, uh, tool is that it does give you that scale where uh, for low risk to high risk, and it puts the patient you know it, it shows the patient where he or she falls within that scale. And I think that's a very good visual effect for patients. Do you think that we should be advocating Medicare or the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force to change their uh, eligibility criteria to be, uh, I guess, maybe more evidence-based by explicitly using some sort of model that has a predicted uh, predicted risk rather than sort of the kind of um, broad strokes categories that are currently out there? I I do I do and I um was um somewhat you know I guess not surprised but quite interested when uh that paper recently published I think in the Lancet um from the group in Minnesota looked at um screening patients it was a 20 year study um patients who had developed lung cancer and how many of those patients would have been eligible for screening based on the criteria of, you know, quit smoking within 15 years. And um, what alarmed me was that a significant drop-off um, of patients more commonly in women um, uh, would have occurred, w w patients who had cancer would not have been eligible for screening between, I think, 2005 and 2011 because they had quit smoking greater than 15 years. So I'm not 
you know, I, I think we needed to start with something, and I think 30-pack years and age, of course, is a very important predictor. Um, but I, I'm one of those people that has always worried um, about this cutoff of 15 years, eh? Um, and particularly in women, because I think the biology of this disease is different in women. And, you know, if you look at all the data on smoking, um, women tend to be younger and have less smoking history when they develop lung cancer, right, when compared to men. So I, I do think that at some point as this this field is evolving that we will um, need to change um, the way we approach and the criteria that we use to be a little bit more evidence-based. Yeah. So I don't know, I, maybe I you, from... so you, as I said, why don't you follow up with that question, but I also want you to add in the topic of, of, of biomarkers, because I think that's the other, you know, big thing on the horizon is adding a biomarker to uh, estimate somebody's risk of lung cancer. So maybe, you know, respond to the previous question, but then also throw in uh, something about biomarkers and where we're going in the future. Sure. So, So I would say um, that I both um, agree and disagree with um, with the comments that, that Patricia just made. I agree that the um, the NLST or USPSTF USPSTF criteria are a bit of a blunt instrument. Um, but actually, I think that was a good place to start because you know lung cancer screening is a totally new intervention. We're trying to roll it out, um, and we're asking, in most cases, primary care providers um, to identify patients who are eligible and order the test. And I think that if we had used a more complex uh, model for determining eligibility, um, it's a little harder to say, okay, this is the patient, you know, I need to be talking to this patient about that. I think, you know, while the NLST criteria are not ideal, they're easier to remember, and I think they're a good starting place, and I would say that they are evidence-based. I mean, we do have, you know, a large randomized trial showing that uh, using those criteria is effective at um, reducing mortality among those patients. Um, However, I completely agree that um, they could be refined to be more sensitive, you know, especially after there's been the initial buy-in and um, lung cancer screening has become sort of an accepted part of uh, regular clinical practice and it's on people's mind, they're thinking about it, then I think we could move in the direction of refining the eligibility criteria um, and is there a role for biomarkers in that? Um, there may well be. I think we're not there at this point, um, but there's definitely a lot of work in that area, and um, it'll be interesting to see whether we are able to come up with some biomarkers that can be added into you know, a more refined model to predict somebody's risk of um, lung cancer and whether or not they would be eligible for screening. Well, do you think we'll ever have data about uh, changing the eligibility criteria? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's ever going to be another, you know, randomized trial of of fifty three thousand people <laughs> like the NLST. Um, but I think that we already do have data. You know, like just looking, um, you know, for example, within the NLST population and the quintiles of risk and seeing how dramatically the trade-offs vary um, across levels of risk. Um, so I think that's the type of data that we'll have. And, um, and you know, in addition, as we, as we get um, 
extra information from things like biomarkers, if anything ever pans out there, I, I hope we can refine it further, although probably not, uh, you know, another large RCT is my guess. And I think... And then why um, I'm, oh, go ahead, Patricia. Um, and, and I want to just say that, I think we both said the same thing. I think the analyst, he was a good start, although mm-hmm. I think it does need refining. I... We're using um, we're, we have a biorepository, but we're not yet uh, incorporating biomarkers in uh, in screening. But we are getting specimens uh, IRB approved protocol that we store uh, in hopes that you know someday we'll have a biomarker that can help us better um, identify the patients at uh, at increased risk. Um, the the um, I'm trying to think of the second point that you made. Um, I, oh, I coming back to more data about uh, screening. I think um, I agree with Renda. We'll never reproduce the NLST, um, but the Nelson trial may shed some light in terms of um, patient selection. Patients were younger and less smoking history, but they also incorporated um, pulmonary function testing on all those patients. Um, and I think um, we might, um, I think we all appreciate that, you know, COPD and especially emphysema is a risk, but it might be very useful data to see if those patients were um, at increased risk um, once that data is available. I think that the the concern is that it may not be a positive trial because patients were were younger and had less smoking history, which I think is useful information because I'm not sure that, that that's where we need to fine-tune the the selection um, of patients is by making, you know, younger patients and less smoking. I think it's incorporating other risk factors that may be just as important as um, age and pack years. That's, that's a great discussion. And so we have um, one more question about the, about the who gets screened and who doesn't get screened. And so one of the things is um, about screening is it's historically been underutilized in groups with disadvantaged socioeconomic characteristics, and smoking itself is strongly associated with these characteristics. And so I'm just wondering what your program or what you think programs should do to reach out to uh, these people with disadvantaged socioeconomic characteristics. Um, I can um, speak to um, our outreach to the Hispanic community, um, we have a, a strong uh, network of outreach to Hispanics via teleconferencing uh, to address a host of um, diseases, including uh, screening. And we recently did um, one of these teleconferences conferences to outreach to the Hispanic uh, uh, population in North Carolina that's rapidly growing about the risks of smoking primarily and then um, the 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 benefit of uh, screening. We have not um, done an outreach to the African American um, community, which I think is is the, the probably the highest risk, right? The African American men, and I I am concerned um, that that still remains an underrepresented group, even within. We just recently looked at our data. It's very you know we've only been screening since January, so it's. Uh, uh, in a screening clinic, it's been going on before that, but that I can really track the data. Um, and we haven't done outreach to the African-American community. 
So um, we have taken a little bit of a different approach. Boston Medical Center is a, a safety net hospital, and we serve, I mean, our, our population is um, primarily a socioeconomically disadvantaged population. Um, and so our hospital leadership thought it was really important that, you know, we offer a screening program within our institution um, to try to reach these people who are at higher risk. And um, the type of approaches that we have used to try to get the word out are um, we have community screening days, not just for lung cancer screening, but for all cancer screening. Um, but, you know, lung, our, our lung cancer screening program participates in that to try to spread the word to the community. We have um, a series of sort of health education fairs for the community, um, and there are some that focus on um, disease prevention or cancer um, and our screening program always, um, you know, participates in those, again, to try to spread the word um, within the community. Those are the types of approaches that we've taken. Great. Those are excellent suggestions, um, Renda. I hadn't thought about because we do have, um, well, we have community screening for mammography and colonoscopy and mm-hmm. um, and also um, for health fairs, and that's that's actually a wonderful way to to educate the public. Yeah, and actually I was just thinking about the things that you guys do are, are excellent uh, ideas, too, that we would like to incorporate. Thank you so much for joining us again. I hope you found our second podcast as helpful as the first. If you're interested in using the Brock model for lung cancer risk product prediction, check it out at www.brocku.ca backslash lung-cancer-risk-calculator. And if you want to use the University of Michigan's online decision aid for screening, it's at www.shouldiscreen.com. And should I screen is all one word. Stay tuned for our next podcast. We'll focus on shared decision making and how to make sure your patient knows about the risks and benefits of screening. And you'll hear Dr. Rivera say, Because it is impossible to do shared decision making within a 15-minute clinic visit. Until next time.